This is episode 184 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Ed Steger. He is a head and neck cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma at the base of his tongue and oral cavity in 2005. After hitting some rough patches in 2006 and 2007, he has, has had no evidence of disease since October 2007. Ed's dysphagia is severe and began in mid-2006 after a 12-hour salvage surgery, which required removal of his left lower jawbone, part of his tongue, a large section of tissue, muscle, and nerves from the upper back part of his esophagus, and quarter-sized hole in his soft palate. In his quest to regain a social eating style, he contacted and was seen by Dr. Peter Bolavsky. This clinic visit was the start of a new friendship, which included an introduction to Sonia Blue, the formal national former National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, NFOSD president. Sonia and Ed began working together. To make a long story short, Sonia surveyed the NFOSD board of directors, gained a consensus, and then asked Ed if he would take over as president of the foundation. Ed viewed this as a gift and accepted the presidency effective September 1st, 2012. Ed spent many years as a volunteer patient research advocate at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, where he has been treated since his original diagnosis. Ed's career before cancer was as a management consultant and program manager with a bent toward information technologies projects. He has run programs valued at up to $1 billion and has experience in the healthcare, banking, energy, hospitality, retail, construction, real estate, and film industries. (laughs) In addition to his volunteer role with the foundation, he is president of E2 Scientific Corp. They manufacture and market a biofeedback medical device the tongueometer to both assess and strengthen the tongue in the hope of improving swallow safety and producing better speech articulation. Hello, it's me again. Got a few questions for you. Are you feeling the burden of imposter syndrome at work? Are you afraid that faking it until you make it really is not the right answer? Don't know how to make your case for the things you need? You can't get the administrator to agree to an instrumental? Unsure of yourself when talking to the nurse practitioner or medical director in the building? Are you looking to have positive outcomes with treatments while giving your patients the best in evidence-based practice? Are you looking for a promotion or a raise or just a positive change from where you are now in your career? Well, we have something that can help you find the solutions to these problems. Medical SLP Collective is what you need in your professional life to take your career to the next level. If you have a professional question, any professional question, we have a resource or a mentor that can help you. We also have a library of webinars registered for ASHA CEUs just for you. And if we don't have it, we will make it. We use our proprietary review process to make sure that it is based on evidence-based practice. We are a real community and we are so much better together. I am Teresa Richard, and my team cannot wait to welcome you into the MedSLP Collective. Enrollment is open from May 17th to May 27th, and then we will be closing enrollment down for a few months, so I hope you join us now. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, 
My goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Ed. Teresa, how are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for for joining me. I'm so happy to have a chance to chat with you. And I know there's so many wonderful things we're going to talk about today. Uh, I, too, am looking forward to it. And I'm really honored to be here. Yes. So this is Ed and I's second time meeting. We had a recording scheduled for last week um, that we decided not to go forward with. And Ed, I'll have you talk a little bit about, you know, about about why we rescheduled, because I think it's an important lesson for everybody to still be cognizant of as we kind of go into this post-COVID era that I think some people think we've we've hit. So I'm not sure how much your audience knows about me, but briefly, I'm a head and neck cancer survivor. (laughs) And we were planning to uh, hold this recording a week ago, but I had a medical situation that postponed that. So let me talk for just a minute about the impact of the pandemic on folks like me who were used to going to the dentist regularly, um, being seen regularly by my medical team. And and that didn't happen for for the most part for over a year. And so I went from dental care every month and a half to not see a dentist for 14 months. And uh, in that process, or in that time, one of my teeth became infected and it caused swelling. It was hard for me to put my obturator in. And I know the pandemic is still raging in parts of the world. People are suffering. I'm not trying to to make excuses or say my problems are bigger than others. I'm just pointing out that there's been a lull in my medical care due to the pandemic. And that has caused some ripple effects. When I went to my medical institution for further evaluation after a tooth infection, the waiting room was packed. So, and it required a negative COVID test before going in, which is very understandable. So that's why our 
get together which delayed which yeah yeah and i think i think you said that it was very well stated at it and so thank you for sharing that but i i think these were kind of all the things that as the pandemic was first happening and they were shutting down all of you know these outpatient clinics and and, and dental offices, you know, exactly as you said, they were shutting all these things down. And so many people were just like, oh my gosh, but there's so many people that need this type of care. And I think, you know, that kind of went on for maybe a month or two. I think restrictions were really tight. And then they started to open some, you know, doctor's offices back up again, some outpatient facilities back up again. But I think it's still, it's crazy that, you know, we're this far out and we're still you know, still some patients are not getting the care that they need. And, and like you said, there's obviously some COVID is still raging in some parts of the world and it's awful. But I think for those parts of the country that have managed to get things under control, we've got to get back to taking care of our patients and getting routine care back to being routine again. I cannot agree with you more. And it's interesting. I said to myself, 12 to 14 months ago, I know I'm going to pay for this. Oh, Ed. Oh, I hate, I hate that. Yeah. So, and this isn't a self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> Someone with my medical history just needs ongoing care. And that could not be provided at a level that. I needed during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that, Ed, because I know I've I've been thinking about you since last week. Just you've you've been on my heart. So I'm I'm glad you're feeling better. You got the infection under control and we were able to, to connect again today because I know you've got some powerful words to say. So let's get kind of let's dive into it a little more. So I think you gave your a little brief introduction, but you know, we'd love to hear a little more about yourself, you know. Okay. Start from the beginning. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, so I will, and I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. But in mid 2005, I had some swollen lymph nodes after a treatment of antibiotics did not work. I went to my medical institution, which happens to be MD Anderson. And uh, my primary doctor uh, there scheduled me for a fine needle aspiration. I did that. It's kind of funny from a patient perspective. I thought they'll do this fine needle aspiration and in a week or two, I'll find out the results. And they did the aspiration, and the physician came back in and said, uh, about three minutes later, and said, do you want to know the results? And I said, yes. And they said, you have cancer. So <laughs> my one to two weeks of wondering what was going to happen got condensed down to a three-minute <laughs> window. Over the next two and a half years, I had uh, six surgeries. I had four recurrences, 36 
IMRT radiation treatment, and I have had no evidence of disease since October of 2007. So the, the surgery that was most impactful was a 12-hour salvage surgery. And for those who aren't familiar, I know I wasn't at the time, but they replace part of your jawbone with your either your tibia or fibia. I had them mixed up. <laughs> and uh, so they take that out of your lower leg and they fashion that into a jaw jawbone and they put that in and then on the thigh they take a graft of skin to help the lower leg feel. So that was the most, I guess, impactful treatment. And all of this should be put in the context of it was a life-saving treatment. Excellent. Thank you for sharing all that. And I think that's so, so fascinating that you know, I think unless you actually work directly with head and neck cancer patients, you don't realize all the the pieces that go into, no pun intended, go into reconstruction surgery. So thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, you're welcome. I, the team at MD Anderson was phenomenal. And the reconstruction was amazing. So uh, a shout out to my medical team. Amazing, amazing. The first highlight was, did I want the salvage surgery? And I researched it. I talked to a few patients who had been through a salvage surgery. I was in my mid-50s at the time. And I really wasn't sure if it was something I, I was going to do. It was either that or die. And, but it was still not an easy decision. We went on a family vacation for almost two weeks. And in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, am I going to do this or not? And it wasn't until the end of that trip that I decided to proceed with the surgery. The driving force behind that decision was wanting to see my 12-year-old daughter grow up. And she's now 27. I've gotten to see her grow up. And she's such a joy to me. So. I'm glad I made that decision. I know it's tough. Excellent. I, I'm sure. I, I, I can't I can't imagine. I can't possibly imagine. So I think I just love what you said about, you know, really taking your time to to decide, you know, and and nobody knows what goes into anybody's decisions, why they choose, but all that matters is that you made the best decision for you and your your medical team supported that. Did you, can, can I ask you, Ed, just because I, going through this with, with family member, actually, do you feel that the medical team 
swayed you in any specific direction or do you feel like they were very objective in in laying out you know the course of treatment or your various options there was different swaying at different times so at the time i was deciding about the salvage surgery my surgeon was really in favor of it i was a healthy mid-50s guy and and he thought that i would recover from that very uh, relatively quickly and he was right but my surgery was in july of 2006 in december of 2006 so five months later when i was about 90 percent recovered um i went in for my second review and had a hat scan and five inoperable hot spots were <sighs> were found and my doctor recommended palliative care so i thought about that for about 10 seconds <laughs> and i said are there any other options yeah and he said let me talk to your oncologist and see so back to your question was i swayed at one point or another um, I think there was some subtle swaying, but what I really credit my medical team with is listening to me and yep, yep. following my wishes. And I just, well, there's nothing I can do to repay them for that. Good, good. I, I love to hear that. I, I just think there's that's what we do. You know, I mean, we are we are here to help patients and it's not up to us if it looks the way that we want things to go. And and so I, I love to hear that, Ed, and I and I I commend you for expressing your wishes. I think there's so many times that people just listen to what the doctor has to say. You know, you know, if you had never said anything, you know, if you had never said what are my other options? You know, and you just said, okay, palliative care it is. You know, where would you be? And, and I, I hate to have these conversations, but I, I think it's so important for healthcare professionals to really try to just put our own biases aside and, and not make decisions for the patients because we have no idea what's going on or, or what, you know, why you're, you're choosing the path that you're choosing. And it's none of our business, you know? Well, I wouldn't say it's none of your business, <laughs> but I think listening to the patient is so important in my role as president of the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders. I meet with a lot of patients and a lot, a, a lot of people that are affected by swallowing disorders. And there's some very common themes, such as uh, I've been marginalized by my medical team. 
my medical team said, it's all in my head. Oh, gosh. And it's so common. And and it, it's sad. So I'm not sure how we got off on that tangent, but... No, no, I, this, this is, I, I think this is so important. And, and I hate, 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 hate to hear that we're in what, 20, what, you, what year is this? 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> but, but to hear that you're, you're hearing that from so many other patients is, is just really devastating. So I, I think, like you said, you have a very powerful story and thank you for sharing that. And, and hopefully it will, you know, change somebody that's listening to this to be more open to listening to their patients and helping them to honor their wishes. Another part of my medical team that I haven't mentioned yet is the speech language pathology group at MD Anderson. I have I've had nothing but the best SLPs out there. And you might notice that I call them my SLPs, my doctors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I realize they're everyone's SLPs and everyone's <laughs> doctors, but I feel very connected to them. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> so one of my early SLPs really taught me to swallow a hip. So I'm going to stay away from names, but my SLP said, you really swallow using the super holotic swallowing technique. And I said, well, what is that? (laughs) And they explained it. And he said, you almost swallow like a sword swallower. You open your esophagus and you just let liquid flow down your esophagus while protecting your airway by holding your breath. From there, I decided, well, what can I learn about sword swallowing that will make me safer from a swallowing perspective? So (laughs) my first stop was Google, a brief stop at YouTube, but I found an organization called the Sword Swallowers International Association. And there happened to be a member that lived about an hour from me. So uh, I contacted him. His name is Jim McKenzie. And he's, uh, he's an entertainer, sword swallower, comedian, I I told him why I was contacting him, and he and I met at a Starbucks uh, between our house, and he brought his sword swallowing kit and performed and taught me how he swallows swords. It was very, very entertaining to the Starbucks I'm not sure. People. (laughs) So that actually helped me better understand 
how to swallow safely for myself. That's so that's such a fascinating story. Ed. That's so what did your SLP say when you told her, hey, I met the sword swallower at Starbucks? <laughs> uh, I, I think people were generally shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I really wanted to learn from the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I I found someone and and they were delightful and helpful. Yeah. I, I love what you said about a person lived an hour away and you wanted to work with the best because I think I think there's just this weird imposter syndrome with a lot of SLPs and healthcare professionals that you know, well, maybe my patients, you know, I live in a rural area. I don't know that my patients would want to drive all the way out here to see me and things like that. And I, I just try to tell people, people will go wherever they can for the best care. And I just try to tell SLPs all the time not to limit themselves if, if they think it's going to be a distance to get to a patient, because when patients are in this, you know, area of need, they're willing to do whatever they can to get the best, as you said. So, and Kind of piggybacking off of that, the pandemic has actually opened the door for telemedicine. It was there before the pandemic, but even more in use now. And I'm really hoping that provides access to patients, to therapists, that live in underserved areas or remote or rural areas. Yep. I just did a, I recorded an episode yesterday with a woman about how to start these telemedicine programs. So I'm really hoping it should be a great episode. So hoping it'll help a lot of people get, get, get their butts in gear with this stuff. Cause I think we need it more than ever. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and I think that leads me to an interesting point about, you know, the, what you had gone through, you know, when I talked to you last week and, and the infection that you had, you know, and I think we think of dentists like, well, there's, you know, how could a dentist treat me? without going into the office and seeing. But I think something like that, where you're able to just call in and say, you know, hey, these are some issues that I'm having and be able to talk to a doctor that way would probably have been very helpful to you. It would have been. Yeah, yeah. So I think we've just got to be a little more creative and, and think outside the box here. I think I think the pandemic has been helpful in, in letting us letting our imaginations run about the creativity. But I think it's there's no reason that a lot of that convenience and accessibility shouldn't continue. I couldn't agree with you more. All right. And I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Simply Thick. Now that Itzy allows you the option to use a thinner consistency, now Simply Thick does too. Simply Thick Easy Mix introduces the first slightly thick Itzy Level 1 individual packets in the U.S. All the same features you know and love about Simply Thick in easy-to-mix packets. For a free sample kit, check out www.simplythick.com forward slash SYP. That's www.simplythick.com forward slash SYP. After 
mastering sword swallowing, um, and full uh, full transparency. I have never swallowed okay. a sword. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I think some of the I guess residual impacts. I only uh, take liquid nutrition, so uh, tra uh, traveling becomes somewhat of a challenge, especially international, where they don't have the boost that I like for the other um, liquids that I consume. In 2011, I was in search of what I consider the best swallowing physician I could find. And uh, that was a visit with uh, Dr. Peter Belasti at UC Davis. Uh, I thought I was going in there for about a 20 minute evaluation. Uh, that evaluation turned into a two hour discussion about uh, follow, uh, following the assessment about whether I would be interested in being involved with the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders. Peter, uh, Jan Pryor, who you may know, um, and Sonia Blue had started this organization in 2006. Uh, long story short, uh, shortly after that, I became president of the foundation. That was in 2012. I'm still in that position as a volunteer. And uh, I love the interaction with the patients, with the therapists, uh, whether they be SLPs or physicians. I've, I've really viewed this as a gift to, my, to myself, this opportunity to do what we do in the foundation. <clears throat> the, the mission of the foundation is to improve the lives of all those with a swallowing disorder. And we do that through uh, direct patient and caregiver support, hosting educational events, raising dysphagia awareness, and promoting promising research. So in the patient and caregiver support area, we refer patients worldwide, almost a patient a day, to a qualified medical provider. That might be a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. It might be a physician. It might be a team. As a foundation, we do not provide patient specific guidance, but we do provide them patients with a with a resource to get examined to get a treatment plan in place. 
we started about 15 in-person support groups. Most of those were suspended due to the pandemic. Some of them have recently started back up. Some of them went for, uh, virtual. We have a, a real-time adult and a uh, child slash pediatric support group that is once a month. And the people that attend that uh, share coping mechanisms, share other aspects of how this disorder affects their life. And, and the help and the catharsis that people feel from that is amazing. We have patient-oriented brochures. Our website has an entire section on oral exercises. And if you were to Google oral exercises, I believe we're at the top of that search result. Excellent. So there's 14 exercises. There's a 15-second to one-minute video for each one and a template that can be downloaded by anyone to help track progress um, against those exercises. And the hope was that therapists would use this to guide their patients' rehabilitation. And then that pretty much summarizes the patient support. So we host about five or six uh, webinars per year. Um, <clears throat> we've been drawing uh, between 1,500 and 2,500 registrants per webinar with over 1,000 people attending. Our last webinar, a shout out to Karen Scheffler, and there were about 1,200 participants. Excellent. I believe 60 countries that attended. So this isn't just a US-based foundation. And then the other resource is our website, our social media assets, um, the information on our website is vetted by our medical advisory team, um, which currently consists of three ortholaryngologists and two board-certified specialists in swallowing and swallowing disorders. So the information is top notch information from people who know this business. Awesome. In the awareness area, um, June is National Dysphagia Awareness Month, and we have a host of activities. And I encourage folks to visit our Facebook page, Twitter, uh, but uh, we're running a few different contests. There'll be some prizes. In the past years, we typically reach about a million people during June. 
with our dysphagia messaging. And then lastly, as far as promoting uh, research, promising research, we did raise funds at one time uh, several years ago for a stem cell trial um, of that time. And we also provide an award at the annual Dysphagia Research Society meeting to the researcher who shows the most innovative and impactful uh, research. Um, we've given out some small grants over time and we help promote relevant research. So that's a little bit about the foundation. Excellent. I love it. Thank you for sharing all that, Ed. It, it was a lot. I hope your readers are going to sleep. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> do, do you want to share about your other venture that you've started as well? Um, I would love to. Let me throw in one or two points I forgot. Okay. <laughs> in the awareness area, one of the, or a, Two of the people that have helped us are Jim and Jeannie Taffigan. And Jeannie uh, had a, a swallowing disorder from a medical condition. And, and they have been uh, vocal about their support of the foundation. And so shout out to them. Um, for what they do. And lastly, on the foundation, it just uh, wouldn't work without all of the resources we have. Our executive director, Elizabeth Lipton Daly, our board members, our sponsors, donors, volunteer contributors. So it's, it's really been an amazing experience um, with so many people putting the time in to meet our mission of improving the lives of those with a swallowing disorder. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for sharing all that, Ed. Uh, you asked about the other venture that you and I have talked about. And I really tried to keep my foundation hat and my other venture hat very separate to avoid a conflict of interest. But I did notice a void in swallowing disorder rehabilitation that was related to tongue weakness. And so my business partner and I uh, created a biofeedback device that is quite affordable from a patient perspective and is being adopted very rapidly in the medical community. And the name of that device is the tonometer, rhymes with thermometer, <laughs> and the name of our company is E2 Scientific Fork. I love it. 
I love it. Have you guys gotten the, cause I know we had Elizabeth on the show. Oh gosh, maybe last year. And it was only on Android. Is that still the case? Have you rolled it out for iOS yet? Thank you so much for asking that. In August, we rolled out a Bluetooth version of the device that connects to either Android or Apple products. And so there's an app on the Apple App Store and another one on the Google Play Store. And we're enhancing the app continually. And the feedback we're getting is amazing. Excellent. Excellent. I'd lo- love to hear that. I'm so, I'm so happy for you guys. And I'm so, yeah, I, I just love really anything that we can do to get right to patients. You know, obviously I know how important our field is and I know, <laughs> I know what our role is and, and how important we play. But I think the more we can empower patients to help take their care into their own hands and help to magnify the therapy that they're doing at home, I think is just wonderful. So it's an excellent cause. Yeah. So let me build off of what you just said. I've come away with a few key lessons in this journey. And the first one ties in directly with what you just said. And it is to be your own advocate. And if you can't be your own advocate, a family member or a friend um, should be advocating for you. Uh, You may even want to draw on your institution's uh, advocacy providers. And here's a tip for those who are in treatment or have a health issue. Write your questions down before going to your appointment so that you ask all of them and you don't get sidetracked by other things happening during your appointment. Head and neck cancer is very serious and it should be treated as such. Go to an institution that specializes in head and neck cancer. Ask yourself, do I want to be treated by an institution that sees a few head and neck cancer patients a month or one that treats over a thousand patients a year? So in my mind, experience matters. Yes, yes. Number three. Be treated by a multidisciplinary team, one that has the patient interest in the forefront. And yeah, I'm basing that on the model that I saw at my institution. And it was my institution, not everyone's. (laughs) Number four. Find a physician that will listen to you. So important. And not all physicians are equal. Yep, that's the truth. Yep. And then number five, uh, understand your health insurance coverage. Before 
I became ill, I thought I had the best health insurance coverage possible. And during my illness, I was denied uh, treatment or payment for treatment uh, six times. Oh, my gosh. And I appealed six times, and I won six times. Oh, my gosh, Ed. Um, But each one took time, effort, anxiety, and if you fight back and you're on solid footing, there's no reason to have been, in, in my case, denied any of those. But in the end, it worked out okay for me. Yeah. Th- thank you for bringing that up because I think that's so important that so many people overlook. You know, you don't usually really need the depths of your insurance policy until you're in the depths of a major sickness. And I think, you know, that's something we learned with with a family member, too. He had changed some things on his policy to make his, you know, his, um, what's the... What's the money you pay? Totally drawing a blank. Premium. To, yeah, to make his premium lower. And it ended up cutting, I mean, just his benefits drastically. And he didn't realize it until, you know, we needed that. So I think that's something. Thank you for sharing that, because I think that's something that people don't don't realize. I think as our healthcare has gotten a little kind of crazy. I, I hate to say that people sometimes are just like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. that policy looks great. Okay, let's go. You know, and there's so many other things that need to be considered. So here's a little bit of a funny story around that. So um, my insurance plan, and I'm assuming others have something called a summary plan document. My summary plan document was about 300 pages long. And I thought, well, if this is the summary, what does the detail say? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it took a few months to get it. But the detail was a two-page document that was signed by the executives of my company and the insurance company saying they agreed with the summary plan document. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> ah. Crazy world, crazy world. It felt, it felt crazy to me. I expected a thousand page document. Right, an encyclopedia of benefits, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, this conversation has been wonderful. Is there anything else you think we we missed or anything else you'd like to say? Or I, I don't think so, other than wrapping this up with a thanks to my medical team, both in the past and current, and to our board on the foundation, both the foundation board and the medical advisory board, as well as our executive director. I mean, that this wouldn't happen without them. So uh, I'm just very thankful. Yeah. And thank you for speaking out, Ed. Thank you for coming on this platform. And thank you for 
sharing your story. And, and I think it's so powerful. And there's hopefully so much that SLPs can learn in how to, you know, treat their patients going forward. So thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today. You as well, Ed. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.